My name is Desiree Knight, and I am a partner, obviously, here at Flourishing Grace. Um, I currently serve in the midweek kids area, the midweek youth, and then I am leading a huddle for the third year on Sunday mornings. And I'm in charge of registration for Night to Shine. So if details are your thing, go ahead, sign up. I'll put you to work. Um, we get to be the first people that greet the guests on the actual evening um, out in our tent that we set up with the heaters and everything. And it's the best job. So not that I'm plugging my team over everybody else's, but I am plugging my team. Um, so we are going to be in Philippians today. So if you want to turn your Bibles, there is a Bible in front of you. If you want to grab that, the blue Bible, it's page 1085 in the Blue Bible. I'll let you turn there. And if you want to stand out of reverence for God's word as we read this together, Philippians 4, verses 2 through 7. It says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syndicate to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. All right. Good morning again, Flourishing Grace. Disclaimer. Turns out the parenting conference was not 100% free. Only 15 people told me that after I walked off stage. No, you cannot have your $30 back. All right. Yes, we're going to talk about conflict this morning. Um, and I don't know if you picked up on that in the text as, as Desiree was reading that uh, this morning. But uh, conflict is happening in the church in Philippi. There's these two, two ladies... And they are not getting along, right? We don't know what's happening. We don't know why this is happening. We don't know anything about it. We just know there's these two ladies and they're not oil and water, okay? It's not, it's not going well, okay? And yet again, like Paul always does, he begins with conflict. And where does he end? Joy, right? This indestructible joy we've seen again and again and again and again. How do you begin with conflict and end with joy? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning together in, in this sermon. And the reality is with conflict is that it's constantly around us all of the time. Right? I don't know if you know this or not, if you've really thought about this, but conflict is something you deal with every single day, every single moment. All the time you are dealing with conflict, right? It's for Many of us, we start talking about conflict, and we're like, why we, I don't want to talk about conflict. Like, who, why'd you invite me here? I don't want to be a part of this. Like, the, there's anxiety already in you, and you're like, ah, you're already stressed out. But conflict is constant. We should be able to talk about this. This should not be a problem. My, my, I promise you, if you are married in this room, uh, you had some sort of conflict in your house this week. There was something, there was some sort of disagreement. There's something that happened in your house. There was conflict in your house. If you have kids... 
I, there was, I guarantee you there was conflict in your house this week. That's why we had a parenting conference just for you. If you have teenage kids, you had conflict in your house today. Like this morning on your way here, there was conflict in your house. That's just the reality of life. Even if you don't have kids, even if you're not married, you deal with conflict all the time. Um, there's, there's, there's a stat that I saw this week, 85%, 85% of Americans who work deal with conflict in their place of work. So even if you're not married, even if you don't have kids, you're dealing with conflict all the time. In fact, 30%, it's actually 29%, 29% of Americans who work said that they deal with conflict at work, listen to me, constantly, okay? All day, every day, I just go to work and I just put out fires, right? And that's like, those aren't just like the people who work in HR. Like that's 30% of like every American who goes to work. It's like all I do all day, every day is just deal with conflict in my work, which is why so many of you are like, that's why I work remotely, all right? But no, it's actually, listen, 80% of people who work remotely deal with conflict in their jobs, okay? So in, in your little Slack groups or whatever the heck you're doing, right, you're dealing with conflict there too. It's, just, it's constant. It's all around us all the time. We are a people engaged in conflict, okay? That's the reality. Conflict is normal, okay? So if you had conflict in your home this week, guess what? So did everybody else who's sitting around you, okay? The, here's what I'm trying to get at. This is my point in all this. Conflict is something that we should want to talk about. Why, why should we want to talk about conflict? If I told you, hey, here's this thing in your life that you are going to deal with on a daily basis, every day, for the rest of your life. And if you deal with it well, if you learn to master it, you are going to experience joy in your house, in your office, in your life. But if you fail to deal with it well, it's going to be this thing unbelievable pain in your life all day, every day, what would you say? What would you say? We say, I want to learn to deal with it well. I want to talk about it. I want to engage in a conversation around how to deal well with conflict. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about conflict. We're going to wade into this. And I hope, I pray that this is going to be helpful for you. However, I also realize that for many of us in this room, there is conflict in your life right now that's far more complex than anything that I just described. It's not your kids gave you a hard day. It's not, man, your spouse had a, and you had a little squabble. There are things going on in your career right now that are bringing intense anxiety to your life. Every day when you get in your car in the morning and you're driving to work, your chest is tight and your mind is racing because there's a conflict that you know the moment you walk into your office, it's going to be all over you. You've got to wade into the mess. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you, you dread leaving work, right? The clock is ticking down 4.30, 4.45, and you're like, you don't want to go home. Because you know the conflict at home is not something you want to re-engage in. It's that bad. You, there's in, intense anxiety, intense stress, and depression in your life because of the conflict that you're having to deal with on a daily basis. For some of you, it's conflict that happened back there in the past. Like, there's conflict in your life that caused you to lose everything, right? Like everything. Like the car, the house, the kids. You lost it all because of the conflict back there. Or maybe your best friends, your friends that you had for decades, the people who you could say anything to, you said something to, and now they're no longer speaking to you. You've, you've lost it all. 
or maybe you've become a professional at conflict avoidance, like you have a PhD in avoiding conflict. And so you are the person who can take all the conflict in your life, all of the pain and all of the sorrow and all of it, and just, and just everything's fine. I know, oh, I'm great. Everything, yeah. like you, you've mastered the smile when inside you're just like, like this raging machine inside of you, like there's a lion in you, but on the outside you look like an angel, right? You've just mastered it, and you're being destroyed internally from the conflict that is happening in you. This is not lost on me. The reality is right now in our world, in and all around us, there's conflict happening. We live in a cultural moment of conflict, both globally and locally, on every news station, in every place, in every office, and everywhere you go, there's conflict happening all around us in this world that is unbelievably dealing with selfishness needs selflessness. A world that's dealing with fear needs fearlessness. A world that's dealing with so much anxiety and stress needs an, a non-anxious presence in their life. What the world needs more than it needs anything right now is a greater source of peace. The world around you needs a greater source of peace. And here's the beauty. We have it. Like we have that source of peace. It's here. It's in this room. We've been singing of it all morning long. The question is, are we going to be a people who learn in the midst of conflict to turn towards that source of peace? Or are we going to be a people who, like the rest of the world, turn inward on our own selfishness? Here's what conflict is. In its simplest state, in its simplest state what is conflict? Conflict is... Right? The, the, the unfulfilled desires are fears. Okay? Modern psychologists say, I mean, if you boil all conflict down to like the simplest form, it's unfulfilled desires or fears. But it's not just modern psychologists who say this. Right? The Bible actually says this. James talks about this over 2,000 years ago. James writes a lot about conflict. And in James 4, verses 1 through 2, James says this. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you like what is the source of all of this is it not this that your passions your desires are at war within you you desire and do not have so you murder you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel and he goes on to say you do not have because you do not ask you don't have because you do not ask that's what we're going to see actually this morning, this conflict, the source that Paul points them to, is to ask, to ask. And the world needs a greater source of peace because there is this conflict, there's unfulfilled desires all around us. And I, I, want, to, I want to make sure that you understand this, right? It's not, it does not mean that they're selfish desires. It doesn't mean that they're bad desires. These might be healthy and right desires, you come into your house and you, you want to, there to, to be a peaceful place. You have a desire for it and your kids are driving you crazy, right? It's, it's conflict. You might have healthy desires. You might have unhealthy desires. But when those desires are not met, it brings conflict into our lives. And it can even bring conflict into the church. As I said earlier, conflict is normal. Conflict is regular. Conflict is constant. And that's no less true in here. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, because that's what Paul's talking about, right? 
Paul's not talking about conflict in your house. He's not talking about conflict uh, in your place of work. He's talking about conflict in the church, in the church. And I promise you, listen to me, if you stick around flourishing grace long enough, okay, you're going to have some unfulfilled desires. That's my promise for you this morning. I feel very comfortable and very safe in that promise. Maybe the parenting conference wasn't free, but I can promise you this, all right? If you stick around long enough, you're going to have some unfulfilled desires, okay? You're going to have some conflict in here with the people sitting around you, maybe with me, maybe with one of our staff, maybe with somebody in your path group, maybe with somebody who's you've befriended along the way. You're going to have some unfulfilled desires and fears even in here. And Paul says, men, we need to be a people who turn towards a greater source of peace. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. I want to give you a few things. I want to give you kind of a two and two, if you take a notes. I want to give you two things that this text says about conflict, kind of in general about conflict. And I want to give you two things that the text says, how do, how do we deal with conflict? Like how do we, in a right and healthy way, address and, and, and engage conflict? So two things that the text says about conflict. First is this, the stakes are just too high. The stakes are too high. In the church, the stakes are too high. For us who are Christians, this, the, we must take conflict seriously because the stakes are too high. Paul points this out. This is what he talks about, right? Conflict in the church is detrimental both to us individually and to the whole kingdom effort. It distracts us from Christ, from the mission, from our joy, from our passions, from our responsibilities. It can lead to true, lasting harm. People have walked away from the church because of conflict. Most pastors who quit their jobs quit because of conflict. People have walked away from faith because of conflicts. The stakes are high. Paul does not just say, let's just ignore it and let's pretend. Let's, let's become masters of conflict avoidance. Let's just put on a smile and just be fake about everything. That's not what Paul says. He calls us, he calls them towards unity in the Lord, and he asks the church to help them together to find, to strive towards agreement and unity because the stakes are far too high. These ladies, have, Paul says, have labored side by side with him in the gospel. He says their names are written in the book of life. These are not just newcomers. They're not just people who, have, who are new to faith or, or new to the church. These are people who are known. They've labored side by side with Paul. Their names are written in the book of life. These are strong women of faith. And yet they're oil and water. Okay? They do not get along. And Paul says, the stakes are too high. Ladies, your names are written in the book of life. The stakes are too high in here. Like we've got to learn to get good at this. We've got to learn to, to help each other. We've got to learn how to be united. The stakes are far too high. The stakes aren't just high because of those things. The stakes are high because God hates conflict. Proverbs 6, Paul lists um, the things that God hates. He lists six things that God hates. And the last one is those who sow division amongst the brothers or in the church. Those who sow conflict in the church. God hates them. Now, I know some of you are like, wait a second, what? God hates them? I'm like, what? That's, that's harsh. I thought God was like love, and for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, and like, God hates them? Like, that's, that's intense. It is intense. I told you the stakes are too high. Didn't I say that? I said that. I said that like 10 times. The stakes are too high. Think about it, fellas. Like, think about it. All right. Who is the church to Jesus? 
his bride. His bride. But think about that for two seconds, fellas. Isn't it amazing, isn't it wonderful when your wife comes home from a day at the office where she's gotten pounded on all day long, conflict, and she comes home in absolute tears, just weary and exhausted and worn out. Isn't that like the best day? Don't you just love that day? Isn't that just like, yes, such a great day. Or you come home from the office and, and your wife and her friends ha- have, have turned against her and, and they have said things about her that are not true. And she's engaged in this conflict and she's on the floor in tears and anxiety and stress. Aren't you like, oh, this warms my heart? N- no. No, it, it brings anger, it brings frustration, it brings sorrow. You're weeping with her. You're, you're frustrated. How could anybody treat her this way? That's the response. And when God sees conflict within the context of his bride, that's his response. He hates conflict inside of his church. God hates this. The stakes are so unbelievably high. If the church is going to be the light of the world, we must confront conflict. The church must confront conflict. The stakes are too high. Last week we talked about this. The greatest goal of the Christian life is the formation of Jesus in us. The greatest goal of the Christian life is the formation of Jesus in us, to think how he thinks, to respond how he responds, to love what he loves, and listen, hate what he hates. We must be a people who hate conflict in here. We must hate anything that would divide this community. We must be a people who fight for unity and hate conflict in here. To love what he loves and hate what he hates. The church must be a people who learn how to, in a, in a well, grace-filled, kind way, a people who confront conflict because the stakes are too high and because, as Paul's going to point out, conflict grows in the dark. That's the second thing I want you to see this morning. The stakes are too high. Number two, conflict grows in the dark. Paul drags this into the light. He drags it in the light. But the reality is, everybody knows it's happening, but it's still happening in the dark, okay? Listen, we don't know what the conflict is. Paul doesn't go into it. We know who's in conflict. Paul lists them by name, these two women, Iodia and Sintichi. Paul says, listen, ladies, I I entreat you in the Lord to find some sort of unity here. Paul publicly names them. He pulls them into the light. Why would he do that? Does Paul want to shame them into figuring this out? Does Paul, Paul want to kind of publicly put them in front of everybody and like, look at these two crazy ladies. Like, can't they figure this out? Like, what's wrong with them? Is that what he's doing here? No, of course not. You know when Paul has a problem with somebody in, in, in his letters, he, he doesn't name them, right? Even in this letter. In Philippians, we've, we've talked about it. There's, there's people that are attacking Paul while he's in prison. He doesn't name them. There's people who are, who are bringing the church down, uh, um, who are enemies of the cross. Paul doesn't name them, right? Doesn't name them. But these two ladies, he names because he loves them. These are two women that Paul deeply loves. They've labored side by side with him in the gospel. He knows them well, and he loves them, right? And Paul has mastered this ability. He is he had the image of Christ is being birthed in Paul. He's being formed in the image of Jesus. He's learned to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And so Paul says, ladies, I love you. 
I love you because Jesus loves you. But I hate the conflict in you. I love what he loves and I hate what he hates. And so therefore I love you, but I hate the conflict in you. And I'm begging you. He says in, in, in the ESB, it says entreat you. I entreat you. But that, that language is I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you to find unity in Jesus to find some common ground in the Lord. I'm pleading with you to solve this conflict. Paul is begging these women to figure this out, and he brings it into the light. This is not a conflict that people don't know, already know about. Everybody in the church knows that these two ladies are not getting along, okay? And it's awkward. You know what I'm talking about, right? Nobody? Okay, that's what I thought. I'll judge it by your laughter. You know what I'm talking about, right? This person in your, in your office, and you're... They're not getting along with that person in your office and you're talking with them and that person walks in. You're like, oh, oh, I don't want them to see me talking with them because they're going to think that I've taken their side. I don't, it's this awkward thing. It's like, did they see me? I don't know, they didn't see me. It's this awkward thing and everybody's kind of like, one when they walk in the room, everybody's kind of like, oh, stop talking. Like, let's just, and then when they leave the room, what do they start everybody talking about? Come on now, you know, come on, please. When they leave the room, what's everybody talking about? Them, right? Yeah. Everybody knows. Paul's like, you're keeping it in the dark. You're keeping it in secret. It's bringing it to the light. This is called what it is. You have these two unbelievably women of faith who have this dumb conflict that God hates between them. Oh, ladies, I'm begging you to figure this out. And then Paul says, not just you. Not just you. That Paul doesn't stop there. He calls on the community to engage because Paul knows that conflict needs community. Conflict needs community. Paul says this, he says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. True companion, who is he talking to? We don't know. We don't know. But there's a third person in this equation. Paul says, true companion, I need you to lean into this. My guess is, and again, we do not know who this third person is, but my guess is it's a third woman who is deeply ingrained in these two ladies' lives, who loves them well, who has cared for them, and they know that anything this woman says is for them, for their good, because she loves them. It's the one person that can mediate between these two. And you know what that woman's doing I ain't touching that thing with a 10-foot pole, right? That's what she's doing because she's smart. She's wise. She's like, I ain't getting involved in that. I'm not, I'm not going to get engaged in that conflict. I don't want to be dragged into that. Paul says, you need to wade into that because you love them and because the, the stakes are too high and conflict needs to be brought into the light and conflict needs community and you are their community and so you need to wade into that. Here's the reality. I know, I know that there are people in this room who, man, there's conflict here between these people and like you know them and you love them and you're like, I'm afraid to touch that. I don't want to get shocked. I don't want to get burnt. I don't want to get sucked into the vortex of pain. Like I don't, I don't want that. Man, as followers of Jesus, we're called, if, we, if you want to come after him, we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we come after him. We choose to climb up on the cross and endure the pain for the sake of others. 
our formation in Christ. The reason why we become more like Jesus is not so we can go down this road of self-help. It's for the sake of others. I want to become more like Jesus for the sake of others because Jesus is for the sake of me. And so the call of my life when I see conflict in here is to wade into that conflict, to have the stomach, to have the heart, to be able to wade in, to speak truth in it, knowing that chances are it's going to hurt me. There's going to be some pain in there for me, but the stakes are too high, and conflict needs community. It can, listen, restoration is far more beautiful than conflict is ugly. Let me say that again. Restoration is far more beautiful than conflict is ugly. Every single time. Think about it. The most violent conflict that I can think of is the genocide in Rwanda. But what's far more beautiful than that conflict is ugly is the restoration that has taken place in Rwanda. That's what people talk about. People stand in awe of that. People are marveled by that. Like, how can that possibly be? Restoration is more beautiful than conflict is ugly. Restoration happens in community, and it happens in the light. It does not happen in the darkness. It does not happen in private. It never does. Conflict grows in the dark, always. Restoration always happens in the light, and in the context of community. First John puts it this way. He says, Brie, I'm sorry. I've skipped over like a 10 million things. First John 2, 8 through 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the dark. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Reconciliation happens in the light. Conflict grows in the dark. However, here's the reality. Here's what we tend to do. We never experience the beauty of reconciliation because we leave. This is the easiest way to deal with conflict, right? Many of us are masters at at it, right? The old Irish goodbye, right? It's like, just don't say anything. That's in my family, right? We got the Catholic goodbye or the Italian goodbye and the Irish goodbye, and I'll talk about it later. It's a sermon for another day. Um, You just leave without saying anything. You just peace out. Irish goodbye. Like, nobody even knows you left. Like, you've mastered the ability to snip, let slip out of the room, and nobody even saw you leave, right? That's how we deal with conflict. It's like, oh, here's this thing, and we, we just, I'm just out, right? We, we leave, right? Conflict needs community. I love the, the desert. I've been reading the sayings of the Desert Fathers recently, and, and kind of the father of the fathers, Father Anthony, said this. Uh, um, someone asked him, what must one do in order to please God? What must I do to please God? Listen to this. The old man replied, pay attention to what I tell you. Whoever you may be, listen, pay attention. Always have God before your eyes. Behold him. Behold him. Whatever you do, do it according to the testimony of the Holy Scriptures. Read your Bible and obey it. And then listen to the last one. In whatever place you live, do not easily leave it. Keep these three precepts and you will be saved, right? Fix your gaze on Jesus. Read your Bible and obey it. And wherever you live, whatever your community is, don't easily leave it. 
Because in, in, in the context of community, we are formed into the image of Jesus. Because, because we need community in order to help us in that. We need community to be the thing around us, the structure that supports us in our dark hours of conflict. We need that community to bring us into the light, to form us deeper into Jesus, to fix our gaze on him. We need community. And so if our, if our, if our bent is, I'm just going to leave, I'm just going to peace out, I'm going to go to a different church, I'm going to quit my job and go to a different job, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to sell my house and uproot and move someplace else because I don't want to deal with this anymore. The grass is greener on the other side. Don't easily do that. If you've found a real, genuine community that loves you and you know they love you, when it gets hard, that is not the thing you want to leave. We need a greater source of peace. And Paul gives two big ways that we can tap into the peace of God. All right, so two things on conflict. Now I want to give you two things on uh, the source of peace. How do we, how do we, in a healthy way, deal with conflict? How do we do this? Number one, uh, we rejoice always. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. Now, I know uh, everybody in the room is like, oh, that's a helpful tip. Thanks for that one. I'm glad I sat through this entire sermon just to get that. I'll go, well, hey, when the next time I'm in the middle of a massive argument with my spouse, I'll just, you know, just rejoice in the Lord. That sounds great. That sounds real easy, Josh. Thank you for that. Uh, that was worth nothing to me. Listen to me. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one when I read that. After, like, okay, that's not helpful. Just, oh, yeah, just. Just be happy, okay? The next time you're in the middle of college, just be happy. Just figure it out. All right. um, why does Paul say this? Why does he say this? Um, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, right? Rejoice in the Lord, the Lord being Christ. He's called the Prince of Peace. Why is it, you know, Advent's coming. Um, we're going to talk and sing, sing songs about the Prince of Peace. We're going to read Bible verses about the Prince of Peace. Why is he called the Prince of Peace? Why does he get that name? You see, the greatest conflict that's ever existed, ever, is not with your spouse, it's not with your boss or your best friend or that person that you met in college, right? The greatest conflict that's ever existed exists between you and God. God has unfulfilled desires because you have failed to fulfill them. And there's conflict that exists between you and him. Because you have failed to love him with your whole heart and soul and mind and strength. You failed in purity. You failed in, in innocence. You failed to honor him and obey him. You failed to give him all the glory. And there's conflict that exists between you and he. And it's the greatest conflict in the cosmos. There is no greater conflict. And God is so furious over your inability to meet his desires and his solution to that conflict, rather than crush you, is to crush his own son. Jesus takes your place on the cross. All that conflict is laid on Christ and the full wrath of God is poured out onto him and he bears the wrath of God all the way to death, even death on a cross, and is raised by the power of the Spirit. Jesus has created 
the peace between you and God. He is the ruler of peace. He has destroyed the conflict. It no longer exists because of the work of Jesus. This means that we are set free to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You have been set free to rejoice. You, you are free to have joy. I, I don't know if you're grasping this, but you need to. You're free to rejoice. This means that in, in your greatest hour of sorrow, there is infinitely more joy in Christ. In your greatest hour of darkness, there's infinitely more light in Christ. In your greatest hour of pain, there's infinitely more, more joy in Christ. In your greatest hour of hopelessness, there's infinitely more hope in Christ. We are free to rejoice. When all of our desires are unfulfilled and unmet, I'm free to find the fullness of my desires being met in Christ. When all my fears are piling up against me, I'm free to find the one who has conquered all my fears. There's infinite joy in Christ. All I need is found in him. And so in the middle of my conflict, I can rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So in the middle of it all, when everything is crashing around me, the Prince of Peace is by my side, continually, constantly, always with me. And I'm free to find joy in the midst of my conflict. So rejoice in the Lord always. The second thing is this. Everything by prayer. Everything. Everything by prayer. I mean, God's, God's been doing a work in my heart recently in prayer and just instilling in me this, 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 this dependence, this, this sense of that I need him every moment of my life, every second, in every area. I need him. And if everything, everything must be done by prayer. God, Paul says this. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Again, another helpful tip. Hey, when you're super anxious, just don't be. Um, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, because we're rejoicing in the Lord already, let your requests be made known to God. Bring your conflict to God. Bring your conflict to God, right? God hates conflict when it's in the dark and when it's destroying his bride, but he loves it when his bride brings their conflict and lays it before him. Let me say that again. God hates the conflict when it's in the dark and when it's destroying his bride, but when his bride brings the conflict and lays it before him, he loves it because he can do a work that you cannot do. He can do a work that you cannot do. Again, I've been in the Desert Fathers, just been, been sitting in this and reading this, and one of, the, one of the Desert Fathers, a young man came to them who has had all this conflict with another guy. He's like, what do I do? He says, everything you need is in your cell. For those of you who don't know, the Desert Fathers, right? The cell is a big theme. This, like, this, this room, a prayer closet, where you take nothing with you, that you, nothing comes in, nothing, nothing, nothing. It's just you and God. There's nothing in there. He says, everything you need is in there. Everything you need is in there. You don't need anything else. Everything else has been supplied for you. Everything you need is in there. In the midst of our conflict, the only thing you need is God. I do believe this, and I know this is hard to believe, that in the midst of the most intense, the deepest conflict, 
everything I need is in prayer. Prayer is all I need. It is the solution to every conflict in me, in my friends, in my family, in my community. Prayer is the solution to it all. Everything I need is in there. Everything I need. Um, I was talking to a spiritual mentor this week, and he was, he, we were talking about this a little bit, and he pointed me to, to David, and he said, look at the way David lives his life. If you, if you study the scriptures, David is, is a man who is in constant conflict, okay? He's being hunted for his life, okay? Constant conflict, constant conflict. And the way he lives his life is constant prayer. He prays all night long. In the morning, he offers a sacrifice, and then all day, he just watches. He watches. How is God going to show up? He's a man of expectancy. What's God going to do in my life today? How is he going to resolve this conflict today? How is he going to change my heart today? How is he going to change my mind today? We see this in several places in the Psalms. I'll give you one. Psalm 5, 1 through 3. David says this. He says, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. So he's in prayer. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King, my God, for to you I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. And watch. What are you going to do today? How are you going to heal today? How are you going to bring peace today? How are you going to restore today? Friends, everything by prayer. Because God is the only one who can guard against the things that conflict tears apart. And what are the things that conflict tears apart? Your mind and your heart. Conflict destroys the mind and the heart. It causes us to believe things that are not true about other people. And it causes us to take into our heart things that we don't, should not be taken into of, of other people. Anger, bitterness, rage find their way into our heart when conflict is not taken seriously and brought into the light. These things find their way into our hearts. And false things find their way into our minds. And only God can protect our hearts and our minds. Paul goes on to say this. He says, In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which is beyond your ability to comprehend, will guard your hearts and your minds in the Prince of Peace. We depend on the Prince of Peace. We depend on God to bring protection to our hearts and our minds. Often there's a temptation to believe things that are not true. This happened to me just a few days ago. There was somebody who, 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 who caused pain to me, harmed me, brought conflict into my heart. And I began to get frustrated. I began to get angry. And I began to believe things about these, this person that, that was not true. And I began to think thoughts that are not true. And I began to get frustrated with this person. And in that moment, right, the, by the grace of God... And I, just, I knew in that moment, in this moment of anxiety and stress and anger and frustration, I needed to just pray. I needed to go to God in prayer. I needed to, in all things, prayer. And so I actually, I actually snuck out to the garage for a minute. Um, my wife and kids are in prayer. I just had to get, right up, get, get away from the kids for a minute. And uh, I went out to the garage and just, just prayed. And, and sure enough, and in my prayers, realizing this person has no idea. They have no idea that they were. They haven't done anything to hurt me. Right? They've They, I had desires that they have not fulfilled. They didn't even know I had those desires. It's not their fault. It's me. I'm the idiot. And suddenly, my mind is protected from all these false thoughts, not because of me, 
because God, the Prince of Peace, is doing a work in my mind. In my heart, which was getting angry and frustrated and anxious and, and, and uh, like suddenly softened towards him. And I was filled with a greater love and a greater kindness towards him. And suddenly I wanted to reach out and I wanted to be kind. And I wanted to say, man, man there's things that I'm not seeing in this situation. Things that I'm failing to see, failing to engage in. And suddenly, man, I, I, I loved them more in that moment. Not because, not because of me, not because of my power or my ability or my might. Or, man, I had a clear moment of thought. No, God did a work in me. And I believe beyond any shadow of a doubt that God can do a work in you right now. I know that there's conflict in this room. There's conflict that you are keeping in the dark. Maybe it's a situation at work. Maybe it's a situation at home. Maybe you and your spouse have been in it all week long. Maybe it's between you and some friends. I don't know, but there's conflict in this room. There's conflict in this room. There's conflict in you, and it's not in the light. It's in the dark, and it will fester there. It will grow there. I promise you that. I know that. I'm, I'm telling you because I love you, not because I want something from you. If you leave it there, it's going to grow. It's going to fester, and you're going to believe things that are not true, and you're going to feel feelings that are not real, that are sinful and wrong. We must be a people who see the severity of conflict. There's an extra weight and an extra stake for those of us who call ourselves sons of the Most High God. We must feel that weight. We must be a people who bring that conflict into the light and into community. A safe place with people that we can trust. And in all things, we rejoice in Christ. And in all things, lay it before God in prayer. So that's what we're going to do right now. That's what we're going to do right now. And in, in just a minute, I have a few friends that are going to be down here in the front. I'll be down here in the front. And I want to pray that over you. They want to pray that over you. They want to take your conflict and lay it before the Lord. They want to do that for you. Do you have the courage to bring it into the light? Everything that's set up here is 100% confidential. It'll never be repeated again. It is dead. We lay it before the Lord and we leave it there. Do you have the courage to bring your conflict into the light? Or will you allow it to fester in the dark? I'll be down here in just a moment. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. But let me pray for you. Jesus, I know you know that there's conflict in this room you know there's people who are internalizing conflict and putting a smile on their face and pretending like everything's fine you know that there are people in this room who are believing things that are simply not true because they've allowed their conflict to fester in the dark there's sin in their heart you are the only one who can guard their heart and their mind because you have a peace that surpasses their, their ability to comprehend. Would you fill this room with courage? Would you speak courage into our lives? Would you fill this room with desperation, knowing that in our own strength, we will never be strong enough to deal well with conflict? 
We need the Prince of Peace. Would you remind us of the good news? We have him. We have him. You are here with us. Give us courage now to bring our conflict into the light, to deal well with these things, and rejoice in you always. Again, I say, rejoice.